Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. This is Eat Sleep Work Repeat, a weekly series of podcasts about happiness and work culture. Morning, thank you for gathering here. I know a few of you got some questions, so let's go on with the answers. Who? Yes, I'm Bruce Daisley. What? A weekly podcast about happiness and work culture. Why? Well, you know, like you, I was trying to be 5% happier and I wanted to get some answers. Where? You can find it online. We've got a website, eatsleepworkrepeat.fm. Which? That question doesn't really make sense. When? I think I did that one, didn't I? Weekly? Sort of. Anyway, let's get on with it. How did I just find this out? There's a brilliant column by Lucy Kellaway in the Financial Times, which is all about work, environment, work politics, sort of cutting through the, the, the BS in modern work. And I um, I discovered them a couple of weeks ago. To be honest, I've been listening to the podcast version where she voices it herself. Listened to one of them five times this week. I've tweeted the link to it. It was so good that I pretty much begged Lucy to come on. But after 30 years of writing for the Financial Times, Lucy's going off to become a maths teacher, which is layers upon layers of amazingness. She might be the best person ever, definitely the Best person of the week, let's not argue. Lucy's article that I loved this week talks about chat in the office dying out. And she says through her career, that the first 30 minutes of work every day was filled with people talking about last night's TV, what they did, where they went, what they had. People would wander the floor during the day to perch on each other's desk to chat. Chat filled the office, it filled the day. And to understand the reason why this is significant, you sort of need to understand what work actually is. We all imagine that work is sitting at a desk for eight hours, but in fact, the US Bureau of Labor Statistics say that the average office worker spends about three hours a day working on productive output. Lucy says it, it's not that we're busier than ever before, but we want to appear busier than ever before. And certainly things like email allow us to do that. Every office in the old days would have a couple of bold characters who almost their only skill was being heroically brilliant at chat. And as Lucy says, the, the death of chat is a tragedy. I, I think it really totally is. Look, I mean, I love technology. I love advances. Change in the, in the way we're working, while it can feel sort of jarring at times, actually, it's, it's really energising. And I know tradition's the last bastion of people who have run out of ideas. Yeah, I, I get all of that. But with the death of chat, we lose creativity. And that brings us on to today's guest, Alex Pentland. 
before we go on to Alex, please, 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 later, listen to the Lucy podcast. I've tweeted it. Listen to it. Tweet her. Tell her that she needs to come on here too. If that's not creepy enough, maybe put one of those winking emojis at the end. So, on to Alex Pentland. Look, I know I say every week you should read this book, but there are basically two books you should read. The Work Sucks book by Jodie Thompson, I talked about on the Row episode. And even that, I didn't think was the best book, but it's just such a fascinating, revolutionary concept. And Social Physics by Alex Pentland. He calls himself Sandy Pentland. And by God, that's good. Here's the idea on social physics. The idea is that in the same way that we can observe IQ in people, we can measure it in organisations. And he uses data, effectively badges that we wear around our necks, to track the interactions of people in organisations. His findings are these. Creative environments are the ones where people have frequent, short, face-to-face interactions. And you know, you know that concept, the idea that you know you can feel a buzz in the office? His evidence sort of backs that up. It says that offices where there are these constant, he, he almost uses the, the description of like jazz, these, these constant short interventions between people tend to be the ones that demonstrate the most creativity. That's massive, you know, because if you combine that with the idea that our productive output is three hours a day, then talking to people, testing ideas, sharing jokes, asking questions is the way that creativity is shaped. We're all in creative jobs. Look, jobs where our ideas make a difference. All of us, every single one of us. And so those ideas are shaped by chat. Let's introduce Sandy Pentland. Sandy Pendlin directs the MIT Connection Science and Human Dynamics Labs. He's one of the most cited scientists in the world. Forbes recently declared him one of the seven most powerful data scientists in the world. Along with the Google founders and the CTO of the United States, he's received numerous awards, such as the McKinsey Award from Harvard Business Review. He's a founding member of advisory boards for Google, AT&T, Nissan, the UN Secretary General. I basically decided... I said, oh, all right, if I ever get Alex Pentland on, I'll maybe call it a day. And then I realised, yeah, I'd not even emailed him. I emailed him. Within five minutes, he'd agreed to come on. There you go. Follow your dreams, kids. Alex told me the idea of social physics came from France, but the set of theories that existed has been massively transformed in the last 10 years by the arrival of data. So I asked him to talk me through the characteristics of creative organisations. Well... Western tradition tends to focus on the individual and the creative genius. Uh, Eastern tradition tends to focus on revealing the underlying truth and it's seen as much more of a group activity. And what the data suggests is that most of the time, most places, innovation is a group phenomenon. And the most creative people are actually people who go around and uh, collect ideas from lots of different people, play with them, bounce them off to other people. So they're really sort of uh, sculptors with ideas and people who are playful with ideas. And, And when they find ideas that stick together nicely, that's something that we call oh, they created this new idea. Well, they didn't really create it. They harvested it and shaped it and sculpted it and then proved it by bumping it off lots of other people. And there may be the lone genius who creates things, but but the evidence argues that that's a rarity. It's really a, a cooperative phenomenon. And so we should try to think about making societies where these flow of ideas is much more uh, ready and where 
playing with ideas is much more of an accepted sort of a thing. The evidence is that that results in much more creative societies. I was interested in my chat with him. Does this mean that remote working or remote learning has less impact? Does it mean video conferences don't work? Well, you need to realize that, you know, the human race existed before there was language. I mean, we had groups of people, we had signals of dominance and attraction, and we got together and did things. And we still have all those signaling things, those, you know, how you say it, the tone of voice, the the body language, things like that. And email doesn't have any of that more ancient type of signaling, whereas face-to-face, and, and in fact, this sort of one-on-one video conferencing has a fair amount of it, okay? And so when you cut off the the human context, the signaling about agreement and how you react, the tone of voice, the body language, when you cut that off, you get a really impoverished communication. And so that's the stuff you get on email and Facebook and places like that. It's okay, but it's strongly impoverished. And so distance education has tended to be just one way, maybe it's video, but it doesn't have the interaction. And communication, we expect response from people. It's part of how we, we shape communication. And so, for instance, what we've been doing in online education is breaking people into small groups of, say, four people. And current day Skype and, and other things like that support these small groups. And what that means is that you can get much of the experience of face-to-face in small groups. You just can't get it where one people, person is speaking to a thousand others. When I was working through social physics, Alex Pentland says teams work well when discussions are in quick bursts. He used descriptions like like jazz or like bees buzzing around, frequent exchange of ideas. I was interested in how it could work with something like the results-only work environment. If people are working remotely or from home, wouldn't we lose something if they don't come together for those little interactions? Yeah, so so what the what the the data, the statistics, the evidence says is is that, um, again, it's not, you know, oh, this person's off by themselves uh, uh, mining various resources. That That's okay. That's good to do. But it's much more powerful when they get together and they bounce the things they found off everybody else. Think about having a group of people, all of whom are um, engaged in a treasure hunt. Think of it that way. You know, so everybody goes off and looks in different places, but then you validate what you find by bringing it back together and bouncing off people. It doesn't have to be a physical thing because, you know, things like video conference, one-on-one video conferences, two people, three people, um, that works pretty well for all this signaling. And, And we can bring together ideas sort of like we're doing now, Uh, And I can see when you get excited. I can have that sort of uh, jazz combo because that's what it's really like. It's like people playing jazz together. They riff off of each other. They respond to each other. But you have to bring something to the table to have a good, good session. So people bringing their new ideas, their enthusiasms, and then riffing with each other is what it's about. Okay, Not, so, uh, again, that sort of lone genius up in the cave on the mountain. Tell me this. So do you think, I, I, I chatted to a guy who had a sort of a fascinating idea that was, he said, the comparative advantage that, uh, that the office has is, the, is that I can do emails at home, 
But the comparative advantage that the, the office has is that I can either meet people by schedule or I can meet people by accident. And so he's narrowed his working hours in the office down to a smaller number because that allows him to be more productive and dynamic there. And, and can you see work evolving in that direction then that we, we, try and, we try and use our time together more productively? The structure I like best, actually, is one where they call it co-working or distributed working. So rather than everybody drive downtown to the big building where everybody has to sit there nine to five, you can imagine that some you do at home, but that some you do in a little local uh, uh, office that may include people from other companies, for instance, right? They like co-working places do. Or people from different parts of your company. So if you went to the little local place, first of all, your commute is a lot less, it's a lot greener, things like that. But you'd also have people from other parts of the organization there that you'd get to know. So you're building ties within the organization. You get to hear what's happening in sales. You get to hear what's happening in research. You get uh, ties for experts. And and what the, the evidence and data says is those ties between different parts of the organization are really important for innovation in the organization and for overall uh, efficiency in the organization. And the fact that it's a lot less commuting and that you get to know people in your community is just as equally huge on a personal level. Social physics is actually bridged into something that firms can use. You can actually get the badges. You can get companies to come in and audit your own communication based on that. And, And I asked him how that worked. Well, they're used pretty widely in, in research, and companies are, are use them to sort of find out how they're doing. It's sort of like a diagnostic thing. It's like they put all this money into architecture. Here, it's an open plan you know, office. They spend $2 million renovating the space, but they never know if it's good or bad because they never test it. So what people are beginning to do is when they renovate a space, they're asking people to wear the little badges for a few days to find out, do people really interact more? You know, was this millions of dollars in architecture spent well or stupidly? And sometimes they don't like the answer, right? But, but by doing that, you can sort of see how you can build offices that work better. Without having data about it, it's just people's opinions. And what are the findings? Uh, how do open plan offices perform, or is that is it? Does well, it open vary? plan offices are not real good, and I think people are are coming to that realization. Um, they haven't sort of figured out exactly what to do to replace them, but having uh, different plan offices where there's lots of different types of spaces uh, seems to be uh, where people are headed now, and those do indeed seem to work better. Um, so you need to have a little private space. Uh, you need to have meeting spaces that are not a pain. You can just use them. Right? You don't have to like sign up a week in advance. Uh, the video conferencing can't be special places. It has to be everywhere. Um, but in that sort of environment where you get to know the people around you because they have little private spots, but you also can meet with other people and you can have different sorts of quiet spots and things like that, that's seems to work a lot better. You know, so I think that that the variable spaces is important. I also think, though, that different types of job require very different types of spaces. So, and that's something people haven't gotten to yet. 
right? Is is that they just they're just trying to think much too simple, because pretty clearly if you're uh, artisan assembling thing, that's different than being the big boss of a corporation, which is different than being in a creative team or a sales team. That's a different thing yet. One of the things I really enjoyed about the, the social physics book was that you talked about the phenomenon of people doing any activity, actually, simultaneously triggers endorphins, whether, so whether that's breaks or whatever. And the one thing that you said, you said, I think you said at one stage, the single simplest way to increase productivity is to make lunch tables longer and just this like easy little fixes to try and make people do things simultaneously. So there was a fabulous example of, of a call center that was asked to take a break. The teams were asked to take a break simultaneously and they went back and even though they had breaks previously, they were they were 15% more productive. People are naturally social creatures. So having a little social reinforcement helps. And like for instance, in the call center, it's a very stressful job. You have people yelling at you all day long, right? So having some people that will are normal people that have rich signaling, so it's face-to-face, that you can sort of calm down and talk about other things is really important. But also, those meetings allow you to trade tips on how to do things. So it's a source of innovation. And it's not the official, like the boss saying, here's a new script. It's it's what do you do when something happens? So the guy yells at you about this. So it's building a culture that helps people stay stable and, and happy, but also helps them adapt and innovate. Everything we've looked at, all the different types of businesses, um, they all share this characteristic of building diverse social ties, building you know, everybody inclusive in the work group, things like that. Those are always good. They always are good for five or 10% increase in productivity, increase in innovation. It's, you know, it's, it's in some ways the simplest thing you can do to be able to make the place work better. And the interesting thing is, is it feels good to people too, because it means you're not trapped in this little, you know, isolated area. It it gives you more uh, emotional support. So it's actually good for everybody on pretty much all, uh, all regards. That said, you know, it's not like you're supposed to be socializing all the time. It's just, and different jobs have different amounts that are correct. Um, but everybody needs some of it, and diversity in your socializing is just really critical for organizational health. There's an interesting thing where I guess a lot of us have this notion, this sort of preconceived idea that you can tell a successful team, you can tell tell a successful business because there feels to be like a buzz and energy to it. And your work, your work seems to be a validation of that, saying that actually that sort of buzz directly transfers into creativity and, and productivity. It's really interesting that you can actually measure that. Yes. Uh, you have a buzzometer, right? <laughs> you know? And, you know, oh, you guys are really cooking or you're not. Again, it's a little like jazz. You know, you can tell when they're cooking. Everything's sort of synchronous and everybody is, you know, trading back and forth and there's a, a energy about it. And it's not just subjective fantasy, right? It's stuff that you can actually measure. So obviously with someone who's studied this and he's understood the, the physics of, of how our, our working environments work, I was interested, what did he think the future of work looks like? You need to uh, maintain a diverse set of things, of connections to other people, to diverse sets of other people. You need to have uh, exploration in your life. That's important for innovation. It's important uh, to keep all of the mechanisms working. 
And then you need to also keep the, your core group uh, sort of in the loop. So you have to remember to come back and, and talk to them and, and you know, coordinate with them and, and make sure that everybody's on the same page. So this, is, this sounds very old in some ways, but it's realizing that the reason you must do this for the core group is to make sure that everybody is on the same page, that you're all working in the same direction, you all have the same information, you're all you know, helping each other. And then for the exploration to other groups is because that exploration is what brings in opportunities that make life good, that make you more wealthy, that make you survive when there's a problem. Um, so, so uh, you know, a, a way to think about it is a little bit like the bees, right? The bees go out and look for honey, then they come back and they dance to each other to get other bees to go out and, and find use this new honey you found. And, and every animal shows that, every social animal shows the same behavior where they explore individually for new food sources, and then they come back together and they trade tips on where the food sources are. Um, in humans, it's not so much about food, it's about ideas. Ideas are not just little factoids, they're, uh, they're opportunities. Did, you know, if, if you see this sort of thing, you can do this and then you get that, right? It's, it's, it's lots of little micro strategies. It's things that you can begin harvesting to make your life better for you and, and you know, your family and your friends. In these podcasts, I try to avoid talking too much about leaders. I don't really buy leadership stuff. You can just tell people who read leadership books. Anyway, vomit. Alex does talk about the role of leaders. And I guess quite often, look, we, we can see what a leader's role is. It's to inject bursts of energy. It's to be unfailingly positive. But Alex has data on it. And he's observed that the most creative environments have a leader who often plays a role he calls the charismatic connector. He told me about that. Charismatic connectors are, are very distinctive in that they're interested in everything, right? I don't know if you meet people, but I think we all meet people like this, that, you know, they come up and they say, how's it going? And what they're really trying to do is hear about some new thing or new idea or, you know, they're harvesting interesting new opportunities, new ways of, of doing things in the world. And they're just really interested in this. And they're, they trade, they're trading ideas, basically. So they're asking you for something new. And in return, they'll tell you about other people's ideas. Oh, did you hear that Mary Beth did X, Y, and Z? How about you? What are you up to? And, and so they're, they're trying to, to spread these ideas around. They're trying to share them with people. They're genuinely interested in what you're doing. It's not a fake thing at all. Um, and they, they get in return, of course, they're the ones that hear about a lot of these ideas first. They're the ones that, uh, in some ways, build up the biggest bank account of ideas. And uh, as a consequence, they're in a good situation whenever changes come along or opportunities come along. And uh, I think that's what's distinctive about them is, is this this hunger to hear about new things and to share them. So, and, and you said that that's a role that people don't necessarily always feel like they're born into, but you can develop your capabilities at that. Yeah, you, you just have to realize, you have to give it a shot, right? And, and that, you know, people will tell you about stuff if you 
share back with them. And it doesn't have to be about you. It's not all talking to you. When you begin sharing with people, when you begin talking to people, harvesting these things, you can share that with other people. I mean, obviously don't share private things. And, and you know, you can say, oh, isn't that gossip? Well, yeah, but there's good gossip too, right? Good gossip is what keeps us all, you know, up to date. And uh, so, you know, anybody can do that. And it's pretty rewarding. Finally, beyond offices, I was interested in what Professor Pentland thought about big groups and societies. A lot of these ideas, the questions you've asked have been about small groups and individuals, but you see the same thing at societal scale. Remember, the original vision was to have a better society, okay? And when you look at whole communities, like whole neighborhoods, you see the same effects. So neighborhoods that don't talk to each other very much and aren't involved in the rest of the, the society are invariably neighborhoods that are rather like ghettos. They're poor, they have high crime, they don't live very healthy. Neighborhoods that talk to each other and, and talk to the rest of the community do much better. They make more money, they live more healthy, they have less crime on and on and on. That's really interesting. It's sort of a recipe for a healthy neighborhood. And even when you look at larger scale, like you compare states to each other, some states are, are not very uh, communicative. Other states are full of these connectors. And the states that are full of connectors are, not surprisingly, the states that do better. And so, you know, the, the traditions of these things um, happen at lots of different scales, and, and it's a recipe for, for um, uh, making better societies. Also, the things that happen on a one-to-one -one scale you see reflected in the large scale. Like, for instance, people who live only online or communities that live only online often find themselves in echo chambers, right? And then you get all this political polarization and problems that come from that. Communities that actually have face-to-face -face communication and rich communication rarely have that sort of problem. And, uh, you know, it's, it's something that's easy to lose and hard to restore, uh, but it's, it's a valuable thing for the health of the community. So how would you reconcile those two things then? So communities that have got lots of connections between them um, uh, are healthier, but spending too much time exclusively online can be an issue. Can you see a, an easy solution from where we are now to, to getting to that healthier state? Well, I think one of the, the big things that we need to do, um, if you look at the statistics of sort of English-speaking or Western communities, uh, countries, you see this enormous segment, segregation of poor people and rich people. So the poor people live one people place, the rich people another, and so they don't talk to each other. So you need to sort of figure out a way to make that not happen. You know, back in the 1800s, there was upstairs, downstairs, but at least they lived in the same spot, okay? Um, in the uh, war period, I think that there was enough sort of mixing uh, that you got to see uh, people who weren't like you. Uh, 
But today that's not not true. And I think that's the source of a lot of our problems. Like you say there, a war type environment produced this melting pot where everyone was mixed together. Yeah. If you look at countries where there's a national draft and everybody serves the country for a couple of years, they sometimes have much better integration across different classes than other places. I mean, it's not like you want everybody in the military, but You know, in the 1930s in this country, there was a very large fraction of people that were involved in, you know, building roads and restoring parks and building hospitals and doing public service things. And and the people involved in that were from all social classes. It wasn't just the poor people. And so you can imagine, you know, as you come out of high school, spending a couple of years doing that as a national service. And that might go a long way towards promoting a better social dialogue at a national scale. I don't know if Finland has that anymore, but Finland used to, right? So these are very communal countries, right? So they have very strong social fabric. Well, maybe it has something to do with the experience you have as a young person. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So for me, this is extraordinary. If you combine what Alex Pentland's saying with what Lucy Kellaway says, he says those short bursts of interactions in the office are what actually creates the fabric, it's the tissue that generates creative ideas. If you then layer over Lucy Kellaway stuff, that that sort of dialogue discourse is dying out, we're losing something. Not all technological change goes forwards, and we need to think about how we can bring those things back into the office. Someone told me this week about a former colleague who'd gone to work at the new, new thing in technology. Definitely last year's new, new thing. How's he getting on? I said, well, he's working hard, but it's just no fun there. No one laughs, no one smiles, no one jokes. Are people missing this? We do our best work when we're happy. Remind yourself, if you're doing three hours work a day, and look, even you, brilliant you, amazing you, listen to podcasts to you, uh, you're maybe doing four. You're the good one. Chatting is the surest way to make a workplace creative. 
do me a favor, go over and chat with someone today. By going over to talk to someone, you're making it far more likely that interaction will happen. And those interactions lead to ideas. So go and have a chat. Please share this episode, subscribe on iTunes. I love you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.